When I last left you, of course, here on All Andy Elford, we were getting ready for Super Bowl 53. The Patriots win it again. And to be honest, in all of my 29 years on this planet, this has got to be the worst Super Bowl in the history of the game. The worst Super Bowl. However, the week has been promising as the Jackets get a victory in Colorado. After a long losing stance, they get back into action tonight in Arizona. While the Walleye have a solid weekend as they march and swim their way up to the playoffs. Scott Leffler and his crew have got their recruits We'll dive into that and hear from the ball coach of the Bowling Green State University. But that trumps everything because what happened Friday night at the Stroh is history. Passing, it's broken up. Zero to the clock, and that's it. For the first time in 11 years, Bowling Green has beaten a red team. BG gets the job done against Buffalo, and it's time to get the job done here, because this is all Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. 24 runs in the span. We're going to get shut out. Gambino! Hit to a home run. Yes, me. Choo-choo, it's time for all Andy Alfred. I love you guys, and welcome into this edition of all Andy Alfred tonight, the 7th of February. 2019 and you are listening to me via the anchor network on the plethora of platforms and that is either on itunes with apple music thank you for tuning in tonight of course on google Podcasts, and you and the android users as well you're also listening to me on the anchor network as well as well as on stitcher podcast now as well as many other platforms so however you're listening to me Wherever you're listening to me and whenever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of our show. It is on, by being a part of the show on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Elford. So welcome into the program. We are live in the studio tonight, recapping Super Bowl Fifty Three. Of course, we'll dive right into that in just a moment, but. Laying out the show for you tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about the Jackets and the win that they got on Tuesday night against Colorado and also the update on the Panarin and Bobrovsky situation. We'll talk about that, and you'll hear my opinion on that. We'll also talk about the Walleye and the ECHL, the Division, uh, the AA version of hockey as well, too. And we will also dive into uh, a special Andy Rantz that happened tonight, as well as a Hall of Famer in the Major League Baseball that we have lost today in the world. So, like I said, you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyElford. It is at AllAndyElford. You can be part of the conversation as well by using the hashtag AAALive. So, welcome in and welcome aboard to the program this evening. 
Well, it has finally happened in my lifetime, folks. It has finally happened. I have witnessed something that I thought I would never see. Yes, I did see a dynasty this past Sunday. I did see my prediction come true. But to be honest, to be honest at all, folks, this has got to be the worst Super Bowl I have ever witnessed in my 29 years on this planet. Now, I haven't been keeping up with Super Bowls. I remember watching some games when I was five, six years of age. So you can count it as 24 years, but I've been on the planet for 29. To me, this game was the worst game in the history of the Super Bowl. It was overplayed, overdramatic, elongated out. And for what? For what? A game that we didn't see the first scoring plays until midway through the third quarter. A game that, on paper, should have been a shootout of a game. A game that was the way to end the NFL season? This is how you end the season? With this pathetic performance? Now, if you love defense, if you love defense, this was a great game for you. But in the new NFL, like we have been talking about on this program, offense and touchdowns and big plays matter the most. They absolutely matter the most. And what happened this past Sunday? What happened this past February 3rd? Besides yours truly's birthday. We saw one of the most pathetic performances between two. These two teams are supposed to be the best two teams in the NFL. And bear in mind, the Patriots are the best team in the NFL. We can put this to bed. We can put this to the push this to the book. We can write the chapter. We can say this plain and simple. The New England Patriots are the best team in the NFL. Because A, they won the championship this year. They have won six championships. They have been dominant. At home, they have been to three Super Bowls, excuse me, four Super Bowls in the last four years. Four Super Bowls in the last four years. And the fact that this team is so dominant, there's not that much more to say. Tom Brady is the GOAT. 
he will always will be the GOAT. He will go down as the GOAT. But it's just such a pathetic performance between these two teams. And how highly regarded... Now, see, the, the NFL is pushing more for touchdowns and big plays and anything like that. Both teams did not provide that. Both teams did not provide that whatsoever. And it's embarrassing. It's honestly embarrassing. And it showed it in the ratings. It showed it in the ratings. This was the lowest, lowest Super Bowl ratings since 2009. 2009. If you think about the game, that that was, I think that was Pittsburgh and Arizona. Two small market teams, well, one big market team and one small market team that were playing in the Super Bowl. You have Boston versus L.A. You figured that this would be bigger ratings. And it was in those markets. Everywhere else, horrible. Last night's, it's not last night's, but Sunday night's Super Bowl game. Drew a 44.9. 45% of Americans watched the Super Bowl on Sunday night. 44, so 45 million people of this planet, of this earth, of this United States of America watched the Super Bowl. That's a, that's a lot of people. I admit that. When it draws 44.9, so I'll say 45 million to watch this. Hell, you get a better rating by watching HQ than anything else. They get better ratings than the Super Bowl. It was the lowest rated Super Bowl since 2009 when the Steelers played the Cardinals on NBC. If you look at the last five Super Bowls, well, we're, we're going to break down the game here in just a second, but this is, this is the last five Super Bowls. In 2018, it was the Eagles and the Patriots on NBC. It drew a 47.4 million. In 2017, the Patriots took on the Atlanta Falcons. 48.8 million. In 2016, the 50th year of the Super Bowl, it was the Broncos and the Panthers on CBS. Drew 49. 2015 was the Patriots and the Seahawks. The bad play at the end of the game, folks. 49.7 million people watched that game on NBC. It tells you that the ratings have been going down when it comes to the Super Bowl. And this year has, was the absolute worst. Now, in the Boston market, it drew a 57.4. Now, that's, that's the best game for 
the Patriots since 2015 when they played the Seahawks. L.A. drew a 44.6. It's the best in L.A. for a Super Bowl since 1996. Tells you something. Tells you something right there. And and for laughs and giggles, uh, this was according to uh, on the Twitter account All Saints Considered. The Super Bowl had its lowest ratings, the lowest ratings since 2009, and the lowest ratings ever in New Orleans. It drew a 26.1 in New Orleans. That's terrible. But the game alone was... The game was not alone in how horrible it was. The commercials weren't that great. Adam Levine and Maroon 5 should, should be... That was not that great of a show. It was not that great. True, there was a couple songs in there... And then how the NFL played everybody. Played everybody with the SpongeBob bit. Including yours truly. I thought we were going to hear Sweet Victory from SpongeBob. Or from a live version of it. They play the bit and Migos comes flying out from an asteroid. Swears on national television. We get that 10 second delay because of that. And here's another thing of the whole situation. Maroon 5 is so outdated. I'll give you that. I'll give you that Adam Levine is still popular with a lot of kids because they're watching The Voice. And, you know, and some of the Maroon 5 songs are still good. You know, I I still like I like their older stuff before their newer stuff. But that is a halftime show. Mm-mm. So my next question, my question will be on the Twitter this week, and you go to twitter.com/slash allandyelford or type in allandyelford on your Twitter account. Here are my three choices for next year's Super Bowl halftime. Okay. You either have you have somebody that has not yet done it, and it's it's plain and simple to me who I think it's going to be. You either have Taylor Swift, and she has to do it because she has not yet done it. You would have you have another rock alternative group do it, like Panic of the Disco would be. Another one. Or you would have a third choice. You have a country music person to it. A Tim McGraw. Or something like that. Of those three. And then we'll have the fourth spot for the other. If you choose other. I'd like you to post who you'd like to see. As the halftime show. But of the four the four choices. Find me on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at all Andy Alfred. We'll have that posted for you guys. Once the show it hits the airwaves tonight, but let's what 
you're listening to All Indie Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network. So let's dive into the game. It's So let's talk about the game itself. And, you know, it was such... It was such a boring game. To me, it was boring. And I told you this, that I wanted to see this be a high-power game. I told you it was going to be four... I said it was going to be 42-28 in favor of the Patriots last weekend. And boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Was I absolutely wrong. It didn't even turn out to be that even score. You know... For me, the fact that this game was just... There's nothing more for me to say, but this was an embarrassing game. Honestly, it was embarrassing. For New England to keep their dynasty and to win 13-3... We didn't get our first score of the game until the second quarter with New England from Gorkowski, Gorkowski kicking a 42-yard field goal at the 10:29 mark of the second quarter, making it 3-0 New England. And we go to the halftime, it's 3-0. Why is it 3-0? Defenses, the defense stood, stood up for both teams. Shut down Tom Brady and the key pass plays. You get to the third quarter, and L.A. kicks a field goal. Two minutes and 11 seconds in. Zerline, it's tied up at three. And then you get to the fourth quarter. So it's 3-3, end of the third quarter. You come up. Seven minutes in left to go in the game. And Sony Mitchell. Now, uh, the play beforehand, Brady drops back at the 32-yard line in L.A.'s territory, drops back to pass, connects with Rob Gronkowski. He goes for 18 yards, gets it to first and goal at the eight. He had three L.A. Rams all over him and brought him down at the eight. And then Mitchell brings it in, scores the touchdown, the only touchdown of the game. New England takes a 10-3 lead. Galkowski with a minute 12 to go in the game, buries it, a 41-yard field goal. It's 13-3. Goff runs it down the field. Zurin. Tries to kick a field goal to make it a make it a one-score game. Fails on the attempt. Brady comes out, takes the knee, and the New England Patriots are the world champions of the NFL in 2019. So congratulations to New England for the win there. As they win 13-3. Tom Brady in the game, 21 for 35. 262 yards passing, no touchdowns, one interception in the game. Mitchell, 18 carries for 94 yards, one TD in the game. Julian Edelman, 10 catches for 141 yards, no TDs. Rob Gronkowski, 6 catches, 87 yards, no TDs in the game. Uh, 
for the Rams. Jared Goff, 19 for 38, 229. No touchdowns, one interception in the game. Ty Gurley held on the scoreboard. 10 carries for 35 yards, no TDs in the game. Brandon Cooks, 8 catches for 120 yards, no TDs. Woods, 5 catches, 70 yards, no TDs in the game. The box score looks like this. The New England Patriots had 22 first downs to the Rams. 14 on third down. The Patriots were 3 for 12. The Rams, 3 for 13. 407 yards of total offense for the Patriots to 260 for the Rams. 253 and 154. 253 through the air for the Patriots. 154 on the ground for the Patriots. And for the Rams, 198 through the air. 62 yards in total on the ground for the Rams. Penalties killed the Rams. Nine penalties for 65 yards of the game. New England, three penalties for 20 yards. Both teams turned over the ball one time. The Patriots led in time of possession. They led most of that at 33 minutes and 10 seconds. The Rams, 26-50 in possessions. And the MVP? Now, I thought it should have gone to Gronkowski for the setup play for Mitchell. But it goes a different way. It goes... To Julian Edelman, 10 catches, 141 yards, no TDs in the game. So the NFL is officially done for the year, and the reflection on this season is this. It has been one interesting weekend, and it is truly a pleasure to be able to cover it for you right here on the Anchor Network. And... Uh, we look forward to what's going to happen this upcoming season, the 2019-2020 season. We're getting ready to be into the 100th year of the NFL season. And I'm looking forward to taking and enjoying the ride with you folks and covering the sport for you right here on the Anchor Network as you're listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on, see right there, on the Anchor Network right here. And you're listening to me, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, Stitcher, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. Of course, we're not done talking about football just yet. We are hitting the gridiron, continuing to hit the gridiron as Wednesday was National Signing Day. Bowling Green signing a lot of their players back in December. They had three final signings on this past Wednesday to talk about uh, BG looking to improve in the defensive side because they had a lot of defensive players leaving this upcoming year. But here's the key thing. I know we are in a new transition team and a new year. However, the loss of Carl Polini is now going to hurt us. With him going now to Youngstown State, some of his recruiting skills are gone. Are gone. And to me, this has been interesting. Very, very interesting in the process that BG's trying to go through with getting with getting him, getting these guys. And 
the fact that we are now, according to collegefootballinsider.com, they looked at our recruiting class against the MAC. Do you want to know where the University of Toledo ranked? They ranked first overall. First overall. Do you want to know where Bowling Green ended up? Dead last. Let me repeat that again. Bowling Green. With all the recruiting that they have done. With all the players that they have brought in. Have... Dead last. Dead last. Go. Gotta give him a chance, Andy. Give him a chance. And by the way, I'm not going to blame him for this. The staffing, he it took him three weeks to get the staffing together for the first signings. But here's the thing. You have been recruiting since then. We had 17. 17 players that have signed on, okay? Here's the key thing. We're having almost 30 walk-ons. 30 walk-ons this season. Now, that's going to give us some depth. I will admit that. There will be some players that will be playing there for a job. For a position on this team. To be a member of this team. But 30 walk-ons and you sign only 17 recruits. Oh, oh, oh. Gonna suck when we go to Notre Dame. Oh, oh! But I, I, I like some of these signees. I mean, I like the kid out of Genoa. That's gonna be a great piece for us. I like the kid from Steubenville. That's going to be good. And I like this kid we're going to talk about right now. It's, his name is Austin Doris. He's a tight end, 6'5", 252 from Shadyside, Ohio, from Shadyside High School. He's a grand graduate transfer from the Indiana Hoosiers. He played 31 games for the Hoosiers, including all 24 over the past two seasons. He has one year left of eligibility. He has caught four passes for 16 yards, all coming in 2018. He's an all-academic all Big Ten. He was first team All State and Ohio Valley Player of the Year at Shady High School. He earned letters in football, basketball, baseball, track and field in at high school. And he's the son of Bob Doris Jr. and Glorious Doris Jr. For his last season, Austin Doris, welcome to Bowling Green State University. Another one, 
a defensive lineman out of Cleveland, Ohio, from Cleveland Heights High School, Anthony Johnson. He was named Cleveland.com all named a Cleveland.com All Star. His team finished seven and three this past season. He had eleven tackles for a loss and five sacks. He's the Ohio Prep Sports Writers Association's Division One Second Team All State Ohio. Played at Gillette High School in Pennsylvania as a junior, recording 134 tackles with 12 sacks. Led Jarnell to the WPIAL and the PIAA championships in 2017. He came over to Cleveland Heights University. So, Anthony Johnson, welcome to Bowling Green, Ohio. And one last one to pass along for you today. This was Chris Christian Sims, tight end, 6'3", 210, from Norris Grove, Georgia. Yes, I said Georgia. Uh, he played wide receiver at Norris Grove High School, recognized as one of the best programs for developing NFL college football draft picks. Norris developed a player of football NFL tight ends recently, caught 30 passes, though, for 525 yards his senior year. He was a Gwinnett County All-Star. His team went 7-5 as a senior, so Christian Sims, welcome to Bowling Green State University. And I said it again it's 30 walk-ons. You'll hear it here in just a second as the head football coach, Scott Leifler, comes into Bowling Green with his four recruits. He's going to be having the NFL Pro Day coming up for some of his players, and you'll get into starting getting to spring practices soon. So we'll get to see his offensive scheme and everything like that coming forward. But he met with the media this past Wednesday to re- to address the the questions and concerns for this uh, from this past signing day and this is what he had to say courtesy of BGSU athletics Well, just like I said, normally in the recruiting process, you got a year to, to explain your vision to every single student athlete and his family. And we had, a, we had to do it awfully quick, especially with the early signing date. I think we had roughly three weeks to establish relationships with, uh, with, the, with those players and parents. Uh, my hat's off to the staff. Uh, we've hired uh, true professionals in every aspect of the word. They're not only great coaches, they love the game. Uh, but they're great men, and what, uh, what was remarkable is the two uh, recruiting weekends that we had, um, every single prospect in their families, regardless if they came to Bowling Green or not, uh, knew that our staff was special. They were different, and uh, being able to have the staff that we have and being able to have Bob and Kit uh, give us the opportunity to hire those guys so quickly, that was a huge key ingredient in us being able to sign as many guys as we did. don't want to. Uh, every single year we want to bring a quarterback into the program. However, uh, that guy is the $65 million CEO. And uh, uh, the previous job that I had, I had a relationship with a kid for a long time that committed to us very early. So I didn't know the market and I didn't know the kids as well inside and out. And we wanted to make sure that, uh, that we were making a great business decision and just not taking a quarterback to take a quarterback. Obviously from here on out, 
in every class we will have a quarterback. That's essential to any football program. But uh, having such the short window that we had, uh, we weren't able to find the CEO that we were looking for at the time. You have some walk-on guys from Northwest Ohio, and we've talked before about how vital your backyard is to this team. Um, what do you see in the, some of those walk-on guys? Like I was at Matt Stenman's uh, thing. He, he said, Coach said, it's going to be tough, but I'm ready for the ride. What do these Northwest Ohio walk-ons mean to you? Uh, they're essential to our football program. Um, right now, uh, we thought it was critically important that we establish great relationships with the coaches in the state of Ohio and uh, really establish a foundation and a great walk-on program. I thought uh, our staff did a wonderful job. I think we have over 20 guys that are walking on. I think it's close to 30. And uh, I think it's a critical component to any football team. You need depth. and. Uh, it just goes by, by the numbers alone and those 25 guys roughly, you're going to find five or six guys that we know that are going to contribute and help our team immediately on the football field. So um, we're going to have that, uh, that walk-on program and we're going to attack that on a yearly basis. Kind of along the same lines, sort of. Uh, the emphasis, I mean, I know like four hours, your radius, the whole deal, but you know, recruiting these guys from Real Torres, Ohio, like truly your neighbors, I mean, what, what is it about that? that emphasis of, you know, at least starting here um, with going after those guys, you know, from, you know, your back, truly, truly, truly your backyard. Yeah, Ohio and Michigan, which Michigan is, yeah, North, Northwest Ohio, Toledo, this area of the country, they play great football. And I think it's uh, extremely important that we have uh, the student athletes that are close by that want to be here at Bowling Green. They understand the rivalry between Toledo and Bowling Green. And uh, we want to do a great job, and we're going to emphasize every year trying to take the best local talent to help our football team. And uh, obviously, with that, uh, you know, the interest uh, in Northeast, or excuse me, Northwest Ohio. Whenever you're able to establish those relationships, bring those kids into your program, it's uh, really important uh, to, to fill our stadium. Then those people want to come and watch uh, watch those local local area kids play for our team. I know it's a it's a whirlwind, you know, with you starting and, and getting to this date, but. Is there something different about football in Northwest Ohio versus elsewhere that you know kind of piques your interest about you know some of these guys? Yeah, just like I said, I think they've, they've always played great football here. If you did a study and found that all the Division One players that came out of this area, it's uh, it's awesome, and uh, we want to make sure that those Division One players are here at Bowling Green. We obviously and, uh, are trying to always fulfill needs, and uh, you know, with the 85 scholarship, there's always a select number of, of running backs that you're going to take, a select number of offensive linemen. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, you keep your numbers correct. Uh, obviously, in this class, if you look, it's a it's a high emphasis on defense, and uh, obviously next year with the numbers changing, it'll be more of a high emphasis on offense. Absolutely. This, uh, the relationship business has been for not just these last eight weeks, the relationship business has been for the last 22 years. Uh, being able to recruit this area of the country for as long as we were able to recruit this area of the country. Uh, we've got a ton of Midwest uh, guys on our staff. Uh, it's amazing the coaches in, in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois that want to see us succeed just by 
the, the, the pure fact of relationships that have been established over many, many decades, to be quite honest with you. Well, the, the philosophy always is going to be we're always going to play our best football players. And uh, we can be in a two tight end system. We could be in a three tight end system. We could be in a five wide, tight, uh, wide receiver system. We can be in a four wide receiver system. Uh, the, the offense is extremely flexible. And uh, we're going to make sure that we are always putting our best football players on the field um, to give us the best success. absolutely ecstatic to see us. Um, the, the alumni and the amount of uh, BG alum that are out there, uh, uh, there wasn't a school I don't think that I was in that I didn't run into someone that graduated from Bowling Green. They want to help us. Uh, the state wants to help us. The high school coaches want to help us. And uh, they're ecstatic to, to, to see our faces. Uh, I think we did a great job, uh, particularly in the month of January of establishing a, and reestablishing a bunch of relationships in this state, and uh, that will continue. We are going to recruit Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Indiana like no other. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to let the dust settle here after signing date. There's a lot of NFL movement. There's a lot of college movement. We want to make sure that we're doing uh, our due justice and, and evaluating every possible scenario that can better our football team and uh, that'll be in a theater near you. So you just heard the press conference from Scott Leffler. Uh, you know, he is, he, he wanted to thank all the community members for helping out all the ac faculty and staff as well as all the athletic department as well too. We didn't get a chance to play that at the beginning of the pro at the beginning of the uh, the interview, but he may mention, like I said before, about the walk-on situation. I said it again. Walk-ons are going to be key. They could build depth depth for Bowling Green, but only 17 recruits out of this class. But this is remember he said it himself. He had only three weeks for the first signees, and then another month and a half to try to get everything another eight weeks to get the rest of the recruits so for me my grade for him with the recruiting and everything like that for the first signing i give him a c minus maybe a d plus it's not that great but what the time with what, what he had time wise i give him credit for it i will definitely give him credit for that, so we'll see what happens when spring breaks, when spring when spring practices begin. We'll get a first look at everybody. Looking forward to seeing that. As you're listening to all Andy offered today, right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you listen to me, wherever you're listening to me tonight, thank you for tuning in, and that we'll continue the rolling along here in again with Bowling Green Athletics, and let's talk about the BGSU men's basketball team. A unbelievable crowd this past weekend at the Stroh Center. Absolutely outstanding. 
to see standing room only at the Stroh. You had the football team that was there in support of their team. They ha- You had almost all the athletic teams there supporting the men's basketball program. You had the community out there supporting the program. It was a sold-out crowd. You had the student body. All the students came into the arena to watch this game. Absolutely came and watched this game. And they just absolutely proved. Proved. For the first time in over 30 years. The Bowling Green State University Falcons defeat a nationally ranked opponent at home. You had to go 30 years to when Bowling Green beat 5th ranked. Michigan State, fifth-ranked Michigan State at Anderson Arena. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. As Bowling Green in front of a record-setting crowd of over 5,000 fans beat nationally-ranked, 18th-ranked Buffalo by a score of 92 to 88. Game was on national television. I'll admit, I'll give you that for you right there. And it was a tremendous game. Honestly, it was a tremendous game. Bowling Green getting the job done on home court, beating this nationally ranked team. It says a lot, and it provides it provides for me a platform to say this. BG men's basketball is for real this year, folks. BG's men's basketball team is for real. Wiggins, 3 for 6 from 3-point range, 17 points, 10 rebounds, 1 assist. Dylan Fry, 25 points, 1 rebound. He was 10 for 16 for field goal range, 3 for 7 for 3-point range. Turner, 22 points, 4 rebounds. He was 8 for 13 from field goal range, 3 for 5 from 3-point beyond the arc. On the bench, the leading scorer was was Laster. He had 9 points, 2 rebounds. He was 3 for 7 from field goal range, but Adrian Lillard, 7 points, one rebound, two for six from field goal range, two for three from the three-point arc. BG again. I said it again. For Buffalo, it was Massenburg, 26 points, three rebounds, 10 for 15 from the field goal range, four for six from three-point range. Uh, they basically shut down their their bigs, their big guys, it was mostly the bench that helped him. Colors, 28.7 rebounds. He had 8 for 9 for field goal range. 3 for 3 from 3-point three mark in the game. Looking at some of the stats, BG from field goal range was 30 for 59. Buffalo, 31 for 64. At the 3-point mark, BG was 8 for 19. Buffalo, 12 for 31. BG was 66.7% at the 3-throw line. Buffalo 73.7%. BG had 30 rebounds to Buffalo's 42. Uh, 25 fouls for Buffalo, 19 for Bowling Green. 
Two blocks for Buffalo, one block for the universe for the Bowling Green State University Falcons in the game. So BG a 92-88 win. They get the win at home at the Stroh Center. And we had Michael Huger on the mic talking about the big win and how the fans came out and supported this basketball team. Michigan State uh, team that came in with uh, Steve Smith and those guys and uh, the atmosphere was rocking in Anderson. It was uh, the guys were hanging from the top of Anderson. That's how many people I uh, think we broke all the fire codes. <laughs> Probably you can back in, in uh, 1990. But uh, our guys came out tonight. The crowd was, was awesome. I mean, just to hear them roar. And you, I couldn't hear my guys. I'm trying to call them over and couldn't hear. That's how great the crowd was tonight. Um, and, and just this atmosphere. I would love to have this atmosphere every night. So I'm mean, uh, encouraging the students to come out to every home game and, and come and support us the way they did tonight. And uh, it, it was awesome. It was awesome. Did you get Anderson flashbacks off? Uh, yes, the noise. At one point, it was like, oh, my goodness, this is just like Anderson. I love it. I love it. And you look down, and you see everybody jumping up, and you can't hear yourself think. And it's like, oh, this is it. I'm, 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 I'm in heaven right now. This was awesome. It was so much fun, and uh, it was great for our guys to, to be able to play in an atmosphere like that. So that was the most important thing is, is, is our guys got a chance to enjoy it, and you enjoy it even more with a victory. You mentioned about this is the scene you envisioned. It's been years since it opened, but did this feel like a uh, – is this kind of a magical night that can change a program? It definitely can. Um, Buffalo has been the team to beat. It's my first time actually beating Buffalo since being here at Bowling Green. Uh, it feels great to, to beat the champs, and um, you know, but it doesn't stop there. We have to build on this momentum and uh, not not take uh, Weston lightly going up there, and that's the next opponent. And uh, we, we have to have two great practices leading up to that, and we got to go and fight. Michael, how important was the first four minutes of the second? Very important. We talked about that at halftime. Let's win the first four minutes. And that's that was our goal coming out. Uh, wanted to cut into the lead right away. And um, we wanted to establish our defense. And, and we did. And we were able to hit shots. Our defense turned to offense. Uh, we were able to create 
uh, scores, you know, not only uh, inside but also outside. We were able to hit the threes then, and uh, that, that changed the complexion of the game. And once we uh, took the lead, I don't think we gave it up in the second half. I can't remember off the top, but I thought we had it for the majority of the second half. And uh, they came on strong at the end. I told them those guys aren't going to quit. They're going to continue to fight, and we have to fight, and we got to clean up the rebounds. We got the key rebounds when we needed to get them, and that was the most important. They out-rebounded us, which I don't like, but... You know, you can't win everything in a game. What do you think Mike left in that stretch? He was, Mike was awesome. He was in the zone. He was definitely in the zone during that time. Uh, we had a talk at halftime, pull them aside and say, hey, let's go. You know, be ready in the second half. I need your energy and effort when you come into the game. And, and that's what he delivered. And then when he came in, he, he I, I give him, uh, a little bit of freedom to, to create those shots. Um, you know, you, you, with a kid like Mike, you got to kind of let him play a little bit more and uh, enjoy watching him play, especially when he plays that hard. And the, the biggest thing was his defense. He defended really well, and that created his offense. Coach, uh, division-wise, you guys are laid up. I'm football now. I know you guys are going to see him again. What do you need to continue to do to come out of your division here and, and overtake um, one game at a time. Um, my focus now is on Weston. We got to go in and, and make sure we do a good job of controlling Weston and uh, stopping what they do well and, you know, knowing their key players. And it's a tough place to play. It is, they, they, they had a tough game with Buffalo up there just a couple weeks ago. So uh, we got to come ready to play. And the way we create what we've created has been one game at a time. I'm, I'm not looking... I can't look that far down, so I'm only I'm the next game, next game up, and that's that's as far as I go. You lead the Mac, obviously, coach for tonight's game and rebounding, and uh, Buffalo was able to control the rebounding board for the most part. You mentioned you got some key rebounds late. What is it that they do so well? They're tough. They're just tough, and that's that's really it. It, it. It's not really what they do well, it's how tough they are. And you can't you can't simulate that until they see it, until all your guys see it and see how tough they are. And when you watch the film and show like, hey, he pushed you right here underneath this and you gave, you gave resistance. And uh, no matter how much we kind of simulate what they do, it's not, it's not dumb. It's the same with transition. No matter how much we simulate their transition, until we play against it, it's not dumb. So we had a a sample of it in the first half, and then in the second half, we understood and made the adjustments, and we limit those guys in the second half. Rebounding, we caught up some, but they got some some key ones at the end, the and one for Carruthers at the end. It's just the little lapses, and they go every single time, and it's the guards. So what really makes them special is that their guards go. Most other teams, it's the bigs, and the bigs are used to boxing out and controlling that. When you have your guards running in there, and guards aren't used to boxing out most of the time, they just go get it, and that was the difference. So next time around, we definitely have to clean that up. We talked about when like this springboard a season, springboard program. What do you guys got to continue to do to keep this train rolling? <laughs> one game at a time. We're taking one game at a time. That's how we keep it rolling. We don't look at five games that, oh, we play Akron in two weeks. Uh, no. Buffalo, we got Western Michigan on Tuesday. That's it. That's how we keep it going. So you heard it in Michael Huger's bet right there. 
Taking it one game at a time, one game at a time, like you mentioned on Friday night after the press conference. He was on to Western Michigan, and BG was on to Western Michigan as they took on Western Michigan this past Tuesday. And getting the job done and continuing the winning ways this past Tuesday against Western Michigan by proving with an 85-72 win over the Western Michigan Broncos. Antoine Leonard, 27.7 for 16 from field goal range. He was 8 for 10. In three throws, uh, he was the leading point getter for Bowling Green. Michael Flowers for Western Michigan, 24 points, 7 for 18 from field goal range, 5 field goal, 5 three throw attempts. Lillard also land, landing in the leader in the rebounds with 11 rebounds. Sam Duggan with 11 rebounds in the game. And Michael Laster, 7 assists for BG. Sam Duggan, 4 assists in the game for Western Michigan. Dylan Fry, 20 points, 7 for 13 for field goal range, 4 for 9 in the game. Turner, 8 points, 3 for 10 for field goal range, 2 rebounds. He was three, 2 for 5 from from 3-point mark in the game. For Western Michigan, of course, like I mentioned before, Michael Flowers, 24 points, 7 for 18 for field goal range, 5 for 12 for 3-point range. He had 1 rebound. So BG getting the job done against Western Michigan and looking at the standings into tonight's into today's play, going into this weekend's play. BG now with a standing first place in the Eastern Conference. BG 8-1 overall in conference play, 16-6 overall. Buffalo 7-2 in conference play. They're a game behind Bowling Green, 19-3 overall. Kent State is 6-3, two games back, 17-5 overall. Akron 5-4, three games out, 13-9 overall. Miami of Ohio 4-6, four and six, four and a half games out, 12-11 overall. And Ohio is 3-6, five games out, 11-10 overall as well. So a big game this upcoming Saturday. Bowling Green. The rematch, the refuel of the I-75 Battle Royale as the school up north comes to calling to the Stroh Center. It's another Pack the Stroh event, and we need you more than ever, BG fans, to make this one extra special. Let's get the place rocking again. Bowling Green and the University of Toledo this upcoming Saturday, 6 o'clock tip-off at the Stroh Center. Toledo, first place overall in the MAC West, 7-3, 19-4 overall. Central Michigan is in second place in the Mid-American Conference West Division at 5-4, one and a half games out of first place, 16-6 overall. NIU, 5-5, five five, two games out, 12-11 overall. Eastern Michigan, 3-6, three, and six, three and a half games out, 9-13 overall. Ball State, 3-7, four games out of, a, of a first place, 12-11 overall. Western Michigan, 0-9, oh six and a half out of first place, 6-16 six overall this basketball season. You look at the top 25 going into tonight's, going into today's play. Week 14 looks like this. Tennessee is at number one. Duke is at two, Virginia is at three, Gonzaga four, Kentucky five, Nevada six, Michigan seven, uh, North Carolina is eight, Michigan State nine, they dropped three spots, Marquette is 10, Virginia Tech 11, Houston is 12, Kansas is 13, Villanova is at 14, Purdue is at 15, at 16 is Louisville, Iowa State 17, uh, Texas Tech is 18, 
Wisconsin's 19, Iowa 20, LSU 21. 22nd ranked is the Florida State Seminoles. Buffalo is still ranked in the top 25 at 23 at Buffalo. They dropped five spots. Maryland is 24th. They're 17 and 6 overall, dropping three spots and can, and and going up one spot and getting into the top 25 are the Cincinnati Bearcats at 19 and 3. Bowling Green did not get any votes in the game, but they did get some mentions in the coaches poll. They did get three votes, so it's good to see Bowling Green getting back into the swing of things. Top 25 action tonight, this Thursday. Houston is in Central Florida that tips off here in just a few moments. Cincinnati is at Memphis. Fourth rank Gonzaga will be at home to take on San Francisco. And the 9 o'clock tip sees Iowa taking on Indiana. So college basketball in full swing. The men's side getting into the full swing of things. And it's good to see Bowling Green on top of the division. But again, I say it, pack the strobe. Big game this Saturday. Get your tickets. Go to bgsufalcons.com or visit the Ticketmaster office at any of the Ticketmaster offices, get your tickets for this game. This game is going to sell out very, very quickly. As you're listening to All Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's dive into this, dive in and hit the ice because we've got some problems happening in CBJ land. The Jackets right now, are struggling as of late, folks. I don't know if it's the whole situation with Bob or the whole situation of this team can't get a can't get the job done. But when I last left you last week, they were getting ready to play. They played. They have. They lost a whole bunch of games. Coming out of the break, they lost to Buffalo. By a score of 5-4. to four, And they were getting to play the Winnipeg Jets. Now Winnipeg is a very, very good team. Folks. Shifley starting it off. In the first period. Getting a 1-0 lead. Before Artemi Panarin. The bread man. Bearing his 20th of the season. For Murray and Jones. Is tying it up at 1. And then Josh Anderson. See Josh Anderson needs to step up to the plate. And he did. Getting his 16th of the season. After 20 minutes, the Jackets were up 2-1, to one, and I said to myself, hmm, this might be interesting. Mike Appleton then bearing it past Bobrovsky, making it a 2-2 tie, 13-21 in the second period before Oliver Bjorkstrand buries his eighth of the season. The Jackets were up 3-2, and then the table fell out on the Jackets. Kyle Connor with the game winner, his 22nd of the season, Rosevic scoring beforehand, tying at three. Kyle Connor, his 22nd of the season, 4-3 Winnipeg, and that was the final. The Jackets out shooting the Jets 31-26. The Jackets on the faceoff dot, winning the faceoff by 54% to 46%. The Jackets were 1-for-3 on the power play. Winnipeg was 1-for-4 on the power play. Winnipeg out hitting the Jackets 27 to 18 in the game. Broski stopping 22 of 26. His save percentage of 0.846 for Winnipeg in the game. Kyle Hellebuck stopping 28 of 31. His save percentage of 0.903. So you get after that game. The Jackets then return home 
final home game before the big west, the, the mountain road trip as the Jackets took on the St. Louis Blues. And the Blues have been struggling as of late, but they have started to pick up the pace a little bit. I figured the Jackets would hold down court, but they were down and, and they looked absolutely flat. This was one of those games where I have to say it, like the boys at uh, at the CBJ Artillery had to say it, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up from your sleep. The Jackets were asleep. They looked flat. They looked horrible in the game against St. Louis. Wake up, wake up. Ryan O'Reilly, 19th of the season, one nothing, St. Louis. Gunderson, his third of the year, it was 2 nothing, St. Louis. After 20 minutes, and after 40 minutes, it was still 2 nothing. If you're Oliver Bjorkstrand, buries his ninth of the season, making it 2-1 in favor of St. Louis. Victor Telesenko buries the third of the season, third goal of the night, his 18th of the season, making it 3-1 before Pierre-Luc Dubois, Bearing his 19th of the season. Gets the Jackets close, one goal closer. Before Sonquist buries the empty netter. As the Jackets lose 4-2 to the St. Louis Blues. St. Louis out shooting Columbus 33-20. They out win in the faceoff dot 55.2% to 45%. Both teams 0 for on the power play. St. Louis 0 for 2. Columbus 0 for 1. The Jackets out hitting St. Louis in the game 29 to 14. The Blues goaltender Binton 18 for 20. The save percentage of 0.90. Corpus Allo starting in the game for the Jackets. He stopped 29 to 32. His save percentage of 0.96. So the Jackets now are on this Western road trip. This Mountain West road trip, I call it, because they don't go into California, thank God, because we had California early this year, thank goodness. But they haven't played their Western Canadian trip, but this is a the final USA trip. And the Jackets got the job done on Tuesday night against a Colorado team that is absolutely not that great. But they're a playoff contention team. And it all started with Oliver Bjorkstrand continuing his point streak, getting a goal his 10th of the season, and we were off and running 53 seconds into the first period with a 1-0 lead. Eric Johnson then ties it up at the 11:59 mark of the first period before Pierre-Luc Dubois buries it not even two minutes later at the 13:02 mark of the first period. The Jackets are up 2-1, and then... Zaroff, his fifth of the season, tying it at two at the 18-37 mark of the first period. And after 20 minutes, it was 2-2. In the second period, you see Giard getting his third of the season. And then Cam Atkinson getting the pass, the lot pass from Artemi Panarin, getting the puck past Verlamov, and the Jackets getting a tie and getting a 3-3 tie. Okay. After 40 minutes of play. And I'm saying to myself. Okay. Who's going to step up to the plate? Who's going to win this game for this team? Who's going to do it? And it was 
two guys that have not yet gotten anything going. And one in particular shook me to my core. And that was Alexander Wenberg. Putting the capper in the game. Getting his second of the season. His second goal of the season. He hasn't scored a goal since October, folks. October. His second of the year, making it 5-3 in favor of the Jackets. Anderson scoring earlier in the game, in the third period. Making it 4-3, but Wenberg putting putting the ceiling of the game with a 5-3 score before Pierre-Luc Dubois putting it in the empty netter. And the Jackets cruise to a 6-3 win, ending this long skid. Ending this long skid. Five-game losing streak ends. In Colorado with a 6-3 win for the Jackets on Tuesday night. Uh, the, some of the stats, the Jackets out shooting Colorado in the game 37-30. They let it. They lost in the faceoff dot 52% to 47%. The Jackets 1-for-2 on the power play. And Wenberg was the power play goal. Colorado 0-for-4 on the power play. They out hit the Jackets 25-23. And Bobrovsky getting the win. He, he stopped 27-30. A save percentage of a point nine zero. Grubauer starting four, excuse me, Grubauer instead of Verlamov scoring starting four. Colorado stopping thirty one of thirty six. His save percentage a point eight six one. So the Jackets getting the win. They continue this Western Mountain trip. I call it the Mountain, the Coors Light trip. I call it. I'm going to call it the Coors Light trip. As they take on the Arizona Coyotes this up this this evening at nine o'clock, that game on Fox Sports Ohio as well as on Fox Sports Arizona. Uh, the Jackets then will head to Sin City this upcoming Saturday night, ten o'clock puck drop, as they take on the Vegas Golden Knights, the defending Western Conference champions at T-Mobile Arena in downtown Las Vegas, Nevada. So the Jackets. Continuing this road trip. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Interesting to see what happens. Last night in the NHL, only two games on the docket. The Ottawa Senators lose to the Toronto Maple Leafs by a score of 5-4. to four. And in a shootout, the Rangers getting a 4-3 win over the Boston Bruins. Games on the docket tonight. Winnipeg is in Montreal to take on the Canadiens. Vegas is in Detroit to take on... The Detroit Red Wings, Chicago is at home to take on the Vancouver Canucks. Carolina is in Buffalo to take on the Sabres. Florida hosts the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Islanders are in Jersey to take on the Devils. The Kings are in Philadelphia to take on the Flyers. Washington hosts the Colorado Avalanche. It'll be the Dallas Stars in, excuse me, not the Dallas Stars, but the Anaheim Ducks are in Ottawa to take on the Senators. The Stars are on the road to play the Predators that game starting at 8.30 this evening. Uh, and the Lightning are at home to take on the St. Louis Blues. Edmonton is in Minnesota to take on the Wild. And the Sharks battle the Flames 9 o'clock tonight. That game on ESPN+. And so with all that, let's take a look at the standings going into tonight's play. Tampa Bay still the best team in the NHL. And they're holding first spot in the Atlantic Division 
with a record of 39-11-3 with 81 points. Toronto in second place at 33-17-3 with 69 points. Boston 29-17-8 with 66 points. Top three teams in the Atlantic Division. In the Metropolitan Division, the New York Islanders are still holding the spot at 30-16-6 with 66 points. Washington is 29-18-6 with 64 points. Pittsburgh 28-19-6 with 62 points. The wild card standings looks like this. Holding the first wild card spot are the Montreal Canadiens at 30-18-6 with 66 points. Columbus is in second wild card position at 29-20-3 with 61 points. On the outside looking in looks like this. Buffalo is 26-20-6 with 58 points. Carolina is 26-21-6 with 58 points. You have Philadelphia at 24-23-6 with 54 points. The Rangers are 23-22-8 with 54 points. The Florida Panthers are 21-22-8 with 50 points. The Detroit Red Wings are 21-25-7 with 49 points. The New Jersey Devils are 20-25-7-47 points. And the Ottawa Senators are in dead last in the Eastern Conference with a record of 19-29-5 with 43 points. Western Conference looks like this. Winnipeg is 34-16-3 with 71 points, leading the Western Conference Nash- in the Central Division. Excuse me. Uh, Nashville is 32-19-4 with 68 points. Dallas is 28-21-4 with 60 points. In the Pacific, Calgary is 34-14-5 with 73 points. San Jose is 31-16-7 with 69 points. And in the rounding out the top three positions in the Pacific, the Vegas Golden Knights are 30 21 and 4 with 64 points. The wild card standings looks like this. Top team in the wild card holding position is the Minnesota Wild at 26, 22, and 5 with 57 points. Vancouver, 24, 24, and 6 with 54 points. On the outside looking in looks like this. St. Louis is 24, 22, and 5 with 53 points. Colorado, 22, 22, and 8 with 52 points. Arizona, who the Jackets are going to play tonight, are 23, 25, and 5 with 51 points. Edmonton having a terrible year this year. They are 23, 25, and 5 with 51 points. They can't even keep their fans from throwing jerseys on the ice. I, I tell you what, I feel bad for Everett Fitzhugh's Everett uh, Edmonton Oilers. Oh, man, I feel bad for his team. But I also feel bad for the Chicago Blackhawks, who are 21, 24, and 9 with 51 points. Anaheim 21, 24, and 9 with 51 points. And the LA Kings are 22, 27, and 4 with 48 points. Some news and notes to pass along in the NHL for you today, of course. Uh, the big news out of St. Paul, Minnesota, is that Miku Koivu will be out for the rest of the season with a torn Achilles. He will be done for the season, and it looks like he's going to be done for his career, of course. Uh, the big signing is that. Um, Austin Matthews signed a big five-year deal with the Leafs. A big signing for them. Uh, huge signing for them. Uh, some of the trade deadlines knows to pass along to you. The Nashville Predators acquire Brian Boyle from the New Jersey Devils for a second-round pick uh, this on the 6th yesterday, as well as Nashville also acquired Cody McLeod from the New York Rangers for a 2027th-round pick. And the big trade was Pittsburgh acquiring Nick, uh, Nick Bazanajad and Jared McCann from the Florida Panthers for forwards Derek Broussard and Riley Sheehan Florida will get and a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick in the 2019 NHL 
draft. So there's your NHL news and notes. The Jackets, like I said, get back into action tonight. They'll take on Arizona at 9 o'clock. But in Vegas on Saturday before they return back home. So we'll have the full recap for the Jackets games. And also BGSU's basketball game against UT this upcoming week. And so much more on next week's edition of All Andy Offer. But you're listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now. However you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. Now let's continue to hit the ice and let's talk about your, my team and your team, and everybody's favorite team, let's lead a walleye. So let's talk about a team that is in the ECHL, which is the A affiliate of the NHL. And the team we're talking about is the A affiliate of the Detroit Red Wings. And that is the Toledo Walleye. The Walleye were in action three games in three days last week. As the Walleye took on the Kalamazoo Wings last Thursday. In a special game that was technically a sellout because they were scheduled to play the game at 10.30 in the morning. But with the polar vortex that took place, it was extremely cold. So a lot of the schools canceled. So they moved the game to 7.15. And... It was $5 to get into the game. General admission. I hope that Joe Napoli does it more often. You'll hear more about it in my Andy Rants in just a little bit. But the walleye losing to Kalamazoo in overtime by a final score of 4-3 to three in the game. Uh, the walleye's goal scorers, of course, were TJ Hensick, his 16th of the season, and Tyler Spezia opening the scoring for the walleye was... In the second period, Hensick is 16th, Spiza his 9th, for Kalamazoo Swanson his 13th of the year, and Galley his 4th for Justin Kia bearing it past the goaltender, of course, the goaltender Helbreck. And it was 3 3 3 2 in favor of the walleye before Thomas bearing it past his 9th of the season, and it was 3 3 before. At the end of regulation before not even 21 seconds into overtime before Bailey, his sixth of the season, walked straight in past the fence and beating Pat Nagel. And the Kalamazoo Wings getting a 4-3 win over to the Toledo Walleye. The Walleye getting outshot in the game 43-35. The Both teams were 0-4 on the power play. Kalamazoo 0-2 on the power play. Toledo 0-3 in the game. Nagel stopping 39 of 43. Kalamazoo's Hildebrand stopping 32 of 35. So the Walleye starting the week off with a continuing losing way. They get into Friday night and lose to Tulsa 5-2. Absolutely embarrassed at the Huntington Center this past Friday night as it was Hamilton and Plensick. Hamilton, excuse me, for the Walleye scoring his third of the season before Tulsa bearing it past the goaltender, Caden Fulcher, as Polensics his 20th of the season, making it 1-1 before Greg Wolf his 13th of the season, making after 20 minutes to play the walleye up 2-1. And that's all the walleye could muster as, as Tulsa buries four goals in a span of two periods. McKee... Plensick, two goals his game, is 21st and 22nd of the season. And Sampar scoring for Tulsa as the 
Oilers drill the walleye five to two. The final shots Tulsa outshot the walleye thirty-five to twenty-nine. Tulsa one two for seven on the power play. Toledo one for six. Fulcher stopping thirty of thirty-five in the game. It was Fitzpatrick stopping twenty-seven of twenty-nine on Sat on Friday night. Then you get to Saturday, the fish continuing to struggle, but get the job done. By beating the Brampton Beast by a final score of two to nothing, it was starting off on the scoring front was Greg Wolf, his 14th of the season, and Justin Kia, his 10th of the season, and Pat Nagel shutting down, hitting the first star overall, stopping 38 of 38 in the game. As the Walleye cruised to the two nothing victory, the Walleye outshot in the game 38 to 35. Toledo one for three on the power play, Brampton 0 for three. In the power play, Jake Patterson, the former walleye goaltender, starting in the game, he only stopped 33 of 30, 35 in the game. Make mention of this as well, too. The Cincinnati Cyclones beating up the Tulsa Oilers the night that same night by a final score of 7-1. to one. So Tulsa going into Toledo being Toledo, but then Cincinnati retaliating back by a score of 7 to 1. So and then you had on Tuesday night Cincinnati getting the job done against Wheeling 2 to 1 at West Banco Arena. The the Cyclones continuing their run right now as of late as they start this big West, big east east coast road trip and they'll they'll see them go into Maine this upcoming week as the Cyclones head into Maine to take on the Mariners while the Walleye will be taking Friday night off. They return back to the ice on Saturday as they'll take on the Indy Fuel for a quick two-game series at the Huntington Center 715 puck drop. That one they'll play again on Sunday against the Indy Fuel while the Cyclones will be at Manchester on Friday night on Saturday night. And then head to Worcester on Sunday afternoon. So Everett's got a big road trip, I'll tell you that much, buddy. Have a have a good time on the bus. I'll tell you that much. Enjoy this podcast. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I give it to you every week. And before he returns back home on the 13th of February, the day before Valentine's Day, as they take on the Indy Fuel at 7.35. And looking at the standings going into tonight's play, of course, here is what the standings look like. The Walleye still holding in the second position in the Central Division. The Cincinnati Cyclones in front at 38-8 and 3 and 3 with 66 points. Toledo 27-11, 4 and 3 with 61 points. Indianapolis is 23-20 and 2 and 1 with 49 points. Kalamazoo is 23-20, 0 and 2 with 48 points. Fort Wayne on the outside looking in at the playoffs started today for the divisions. At 22-17, 1-3 with 48 points. Wheeling, 20-21, and 4-1 and with 45 points. The Mountain Division looks like this. Idaho is 29-15, 1-2 with 61 points. Utah is 28-13, 4-1 with 61 points as well. You have the Tulsa Oilers with their two with their win against Toledo and the loss to Cincinnati. Are 26-17, 4-2 with 58 points. Kansas City, 22-18, 2-1 with 47 points. Wichita 19-25 and 3 with 46 points. Rapid City 18-24, 4 
and three with 43 points, and the Allen Americans are 16, 29, 4 and 2 with 38 points. So looking at the Eastern Conference, Newfoundland in front with a record of 30, 14, 2 and 0 with 62 points, and Arundack 25, 17, 3 and 2 with 55 points. Manchester 24, 21 and 1 with 50 points. And Brampton is 23-23-1 with 50 points. Reading is also at 50 points with a record of 21-16-3-5 with 50 points. Worcester, 20-19-3-3 with 46 points. And the main Mariners are 22-22-0-1 with 45 points. The best overall team in the East Coast Hockey League, of course. And it's because they play a chump schedule, I'll admit that, are the Florida Everblades. They're 33-9. 5 and 0 with 71 points. Their next closest team is the South Carolina Stingrays at 25 18 3 and 0 with 53 points. Jacksonville 24 21 and 2 with 51 points. Orlando 23 18 3 and 0 with 49 points. Norfolk 18 23 3 and 3 with 42 points. Atlanta 17 19 7 and 1 with 42 points. And the Greenville Swamp Rabbits are 15 29 3 and 2 with 35 points. They are the worst team in the East Coast Hockey League. So, that tells you something right there. But the walleye back into action this upcoming Saturday and Sunday as they take on the Indy Fuel. I look forward to seeing Everett next Saturday, and Friday and Saturday as the walleye will battle Cincinnati, a big two-game series. Get your tickets for this upcoming weekend by calling 419-725-WALL or visit ToledoWalleye.com or visit the box office down at either the Swamp Shop at at Fifth Third Field or at the Huntington Center. As you're listening to all the NBL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts Now, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit, we're heading into the end of the program tonight, and it's time for Andy Rants. It's now time for Andy Rants, and before I begin, I'd like to say thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do shows every week on uh, Tuesdays and Tuesdays or Thursdays, depending on how the Jackets are performing, of course, and of your yours truly schedule as well. Uh, but we do a show every week. So, and if you want, pass the show on to your friends, and we'll keep this train going. That is all Andy Alfred on the show, and uh, you'd always be a part of the conversation by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alford, it is at All Andy Alford. So, so thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And it's time for Andy Rants. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, first of all, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a long-winded situation. Uh, three parts. First, I want to talk about this past Thursday and the fact that the wall I did something that I have not yet seen in a long time, folks. They have never done a cheap night. And it was a success in my book. And I hope that Joe Napoli does this more often. At least once or maybe twice a season. Maybe on the weekday games. That he knows that he can't bring in a lot of people. And I mean that in in all sincerity. The guy is controls more about his pocketbook than anything else. 
Now, all the money that was raised this past Thursday goes to the Walleye Wishing Well Fund. $5 got you to sit wherever you wanted to sit in the arena. $5. You really can't beat it. And I sat up in the club level, and a seat that usually costs $27 a piece, I paid $5 for. I sat right over center ice and had an absolutely amazing time. Had a nacho and a beverage, of course, and watched the game. I wish he would do this more often. Do more nights, weeknight games that are either a $5 ticket or a $10 ticket. Something that's cheap for people. Lower the concession stands. Concession prices. Keep the prices low for people. Because to go to a hockey ECHL hockey game here in the city of Toledo is $17 a person. So they're getting you almost $70 Almost ninety dollars if you count when you count parking, before you even come into the gate, after you come into the gate. Plus, you got to eat and you got to get them something to wear, something to drink. I saw families of four coming to the game and only spending twenty dollars to get in, and then paying a little bit more for food because they had extra money. I wish Joe would do that more often, especially for weeknight games. And I wish that, you know, he would do that more often and the walleye would do that more often. Because it was a fully successful night for everybody in attendance the game. I had a blast. A lot of people that I talked to had a blast. The guy I was talking to next to me, his name was Jason. And he he was he's a season ticket holder, but he wanted to take a look and see how, how the game looks from upstairs. Had an absolute blast. And see, the ticket holders got in for free. So there's that. So I hope that the walleye do another cheap night going forward. Or a discount night going forward as well. Number two. The whole situation with Bobrovsky and, and Panarin is becoming outrageous. It's becoming ridiculous, in my opinion. And the fact that the team is now suffering from this is outright outrageous. We need to get this situation done. And with the trade deadline up and coming at the end of the month, it needs to be done. We have to get this done. Somebody has to stay and somebody has to go. We, they both cannot stay now. If they both stay, we're going to lose them. And we're going to be out of goaltender and a forward. In my opinion, you keep Bobrovsky. He is your bread and butter. He's been solid between the pipes for the longest period of time. And he, I mentioned of it last week on the podcast when I said about Bob and how Bob was... Not becoming the Bob because it's a contract year. Atkinson was the same way with, with how he was performing. He was absolutely horrible. He gets the contract. He becomes better. He plays outstanding. Helps the team to the playoffs. What's to say Bob doesn't do that again? Do, do that for us? Forwards are a dime a dozen. We can always get forwards. 
we can always get forwards. So let's sign Bob. And let's get the job done. And finally, this past weekend I had the opportunity to take in the Super Bowl from beautiful city of Frankenmuth, Michigan. Had an absolute blast time. Me and the missus had an absolute wonderful time. Had a great dinner. Great hotel experience. And the town is absolutely amazing. If you've never been to it, it is Michigan's Little Bavaria. And we've done the podcast in our old web show from Frankenmuth. We plan on doing it again this upcoming summer. So look it up. Frankenmuth.org is the website for that. And we absolutely had a blast of a time. I'm looking forward to more upcoming road trips to come. And I hope you're along the the ride with us. And that's going to wrap it up for all Andy Elford tonight. We'll be back on the air with you guys next week for another edition of the program. But until then, this is Andy Elford saying I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you root for at home, into my, into my teams, go Jackets! Get the job done against Arizona. You do pretty well against Vegas. Go Walleye. Go Cyclones. Go Falcons. And go. Destroyers. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. If you don't know what the Destroyers are, look up the AFL. Coming back to Columbus. Looking forward to that. Remember, victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great week, everybody. I'll talk to you guys next week for another edition of All Andy Alford right here on the Anchor Network. Love you. Talk to you guys then. And happy birthday, Amanda. Love you. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor Network.